best friends and introverts. Welcome back to the You're So Quiet podcast for the first time in two weeks. As always, I am your host, Chelsea Brown. This week, I am going to talk about a few classic horror movies and give my take on them. This whole month is going to be filled with spooky content, so get ready. But first, our customary mental health check. We're going to rate our mental health from one to five, one being absolutely horrible, five being absolutely amazing. I personally am at like a three, so I'm not great, but I'm not horrible. I'm pretty middle of the road. Maybe you're feeling similar too. Maybe you're someone who forgets to check in with themselves. I know you are, so go ahead and check in with yourself right now. Ask yourself how you're really doing, not how you kind of wish you were doing. And while you're thinking about that, I will give you just a quick life update of what has happened the last couple weeks. So I took a couple weeks off for my mental health from the podcast and from submitting my book. I am back on the grind now, but um, somewhat unwillingly. I don't really want to. I'm having trouble differentiating between I need rest and I don't feel like working. And that's kind of giving me a little bit of pause because I'm like, I'm trying to listen to what my body actually needs, but I don't know if my body's just being lazy. And I don't know if like my definition of lazy is tainted because even though I took two weeks off, I wasn't actually like off from work. I simply just did not put in podcast episodes and I didn't submit my book to agents. I was still writing. I still did all my client work. Like I did literally everything else except for the two things that I just mentioned. So I don't, I don't know if I actually feel rested. I don't think I do. I don't know. I think at this point I'm just like, it's time to just get back to it and take care of business. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's where I am. Literally nothing else has happened. I have not done anything. I have not gone anywhere. I went to the post office two days ago and that was pretty much the highlight of the last two weeks because I've not done anything. And it's honestly, I prefer it that way. I am very much an introvert, as are most people who are listening to the podcast. So yeah, I just chilled and that's pretty much it. So yeah. Anywho, let's get into the book, TV show, or movie of the week. I did read a lot over the last couple weeks, but there's one book that really stood out to me that I really wanted to recommend, especially as we are getting into October and into my favorite season, which is spooky season. So the book is called Daisy Darker. It's by Lucy Foley. The concept is that there is this family who's getting together just before the grandmother dies or when she believes she's going to die. She was always told she was going to die on her 80th birthday. And the house where they gather is kind of cut off from the rest of the world when the tide comes in. And it's also set, I believe, in 2004. So cell phones were very uncommon. And the one person who does have a cell phone is not able to get service. So it's a really good, like, murder mystery, the call is coming from inside the house kind of thing. I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. I honestly, I have enjoyed most books by Lucy Foley. Didn't really like the hunting party personally. And I was a little bit hesitant on reading this one because she typically does like the collection of cast. Like everyone kind of has their own chance in the spotlight. Um, but this one was a little bit different. There was definitely a large cast of characters, but it was done differently than her other books. So if you're like, okay, 
I feel like I've read all of her books if I've read one of her books. Just trust me on this one. I loved Daisy Darker. It, the twist at the end, I literally said what out loud. So that's when you know it's good. When I'm, <laughs> I'm saying what out loud. The last time that happened to me was The Woman in Cabin 10 by Ruth Ware. There's a twist in there that I truly did not see coming and I really try to solve a mystery before I get to the end of the book. I wouldn't say I'm always successful or even mostly successful, but to be that surprised is very rare for me. So definitely pick it up. I did get it from Book of the Month. I also recommend Book of the Month to everybody. This is not sponsored. However, if you like to read, you definitely want to do book of the month because I literally get a hardback book every month for $10. Whereas the same book on Amazon or at a bookstore is $25. So I I see no downside. Anyway, I digress. Go pick up Daisy Darker, order it, whatever. Trust me on this one. It will really get like set the mood. It's very macabre kind of uh, almost like a gothic feel, but not really. Trust me, just go get it. So with all of that behind us and with you hopefully having latched on to what you believe your mental health rating for this week is, let's get into the topic of the week, which is classic horror. I grew up watching horror movies with my mom. We would watch everything from rear window to like the latest gory slasher type thing. But I grew up on classic horror, so think Psycho, think Nightmare on Elm Street, think Friday the 13th, all of those like 80s movies, I grew up on them. Of course, Psycho is 1960, but you know what I mean. Anyway, I watched five classic horror movies, and the ones that I watched were The Uninvited, 1944, Nosferatu, 1922, Psycho, 1960, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, 1962, and Stephen King's It, the original one from 1990. I specifically wanted to focus on classic horror because I think that classic horror has to rely more on the audience than today's horror. If you go to a horror movie now, the effects are so good, which is great because I'm terrified. However, I think that the quality about classic horror that makes it so good sometimes is that I have to kind of invent or fill in the blanks of what is not covered by, by effects. I think as film has gone on, it's gotten even better at creating this kind of atmosphere where I, as the audience, can kind of put my own little flavor on it or whatever. So I tried to get like different facets of horror. We have thrillers, paranormal, slashers, and monsters. And we are going to start with monsters with Nosferatu. If you don't know what Nosferatu is, it's a movie from 1922, which is based on the Bram Stoker's Dracula book. I read the book years and years ago. It was it was creepy. I will I will give you that. I definitely had nightmares after reading the book. So there's this guy who is like, hey, I want to buy a new house in your town. And then this real estate agent in that town is like, okay, cool. So I'm going to go to your castle and meet with you and then whatever. It, I mean, the plot, the plot was not plotting in the beginning. <laughs> the plot was not plotting. And also, I did not know this before I actually watched it. It is a silent film and it, it's obviously, it's, 
in black and white. It's from 1922, but it's silent. And I did not realize how much reading had to go into silent movies because you do, like, there's no dialogue, obviously. And you kind of have to, you have to give me a little something so I can try to follow what's, what's happening. I watched it on YouTube. The full movie is on YouTube. And if you like classic movies, if you like silent films, this is definitely a good one. If you are looking to be frightened, I will, I'll just tell you what I saw and then you can decide if you want to go watch it. Okay, so it starts off really strong. There's text on the screen. It says, Nosferatu, does this word not sound like the death bird calling your name at midnight? Beware you never say it, for then the pictures of life will fade to shadows. Haunting dreams will climb forth from your heart and feed on your blood. So... That to me, I was like, ooh, this is about to be such, such a good movie because like you're really setting the scene for me. I'm, I'm ready to be frightened. And maybe in 1922, I would have been frightened because I think as a person in 2022, I'm a little bit jaded. Like I, I'll just be very clear about that. So this movie was broken into acts and I think that sometimes the filmmakers were a little a little lazy because <laughs> the dude arrives from the t like the real estate guy arrives at the castle in Transylvania where Count Orlock lives and literally they are outside in broad daylight it is light as heck outside and the text pops up on the screen is like oh how could you come at midnight it's so late I'm like you are fooling nobody. I can literally see the sun on everybody's hair. Like, this is ridiculous. Anywho, the guy arrives at the house, at the castle, stays the night. Not totally sure if this was, like, a normal thing in 1922. Maybe. I don't know. But the dude's there, and he is eating with the Count. And the guy cuts himself. The Count is like, ooh, blood, let's spend more time together, which sounded like a little homoerotic at the time, which is fine, but very out of place for the time period. Dude, human dude, wakes up. It cuts to black right after they, after the guy cuts himself, cuts to black. Guy wakes up and he's writing to his beloved and he's like, oh, I have two marks on my neck. It must have been the mosquitoes. I'm like, first of all, I don't even know if mosquitoes live in Transylvania, but you might be a little bit dumb. You might be a little bit dumb, but it's, it's fine. And <laughs> they try, they really try to build the, the suspense, right? With the music, but I wish that the music changed with the scene versus being like an orchestral composition throughout the entire movie because there was a scene where um the human guy hears someone outside his door so he like peeks around the door and you see the count literally like slender man with his little arms straight down no expression on his face whatsoever. Human guy looks terrified, but the music in the background, I feel like it could have made it work. Could have made it work, but it did not. So we go on. Vampire guy is like, all right, cool. I'm going to your town now. And he has to bring 
like six caskets of soil with him. So they're on a boat. Everybody on the boat dies. They think it's the plague because there are rats in the caskets with the dirt. When the ship docks, there's like one person left just to literally steer the boat and dock it. And then their investigators trying to figure out what happened. They're like, oh, it was the plague. And so everyone is told they have to stay in their house, which it's a little bit interesting because I actually feel like... Now that I'm thinking about it, I think there was a pandemic in the 20s and it was pretty similar to kind of what we experienced with with COVID, but um, like people had to stay home and etc. So I wonder if it was a commentary on that. However, with the reference to the rats, it kind of made me think of like the bubonic plague, which is the black plague where people would get these black boils on their body and obviously killed a lot of people. So I don't know if it was supposed to be a commentary on that. And if so, especially for the time period, I think it would honestly add to the hysteria more because obviously around people all around you are dying and you don't know what's happening. And oh, I just watched this movie called Nosferatu and it, it's the vampire. He's coming after us. So I think, I think that it's possible that these two events coincided and I would do research, but I really don't feel like doing it right now. So you're getting my speculation. You're getting, you know, the what I think might possibly have happened and we're going to run with it. There's also like tons of sexism (laughs) in this, in this particular movie. Uh, Not totally surprising, but it's still shocking as someone from who's literally living today in 2022 because the dude's wife the dude that went to the castle to get the count his wife is reading a book and is overtaken by hysteria quote unquote and she points to the castle where the count now lives and then just passes out and I was just like okay So are we trying to like vilify also women reading in general? Like had she not read the book then, okay. Because I know that there's this thing I saw somewhere of things that would classify a woman as being mentally ill and like reading books was on the list. I don't know if it was like a spoof or just a meme or whatever, Um, but truthfully, I wouldn't doubt that it was definitely on the list. Anyway, Count Orlock, aka Nosferatu, comes to Ellen, the dude's wife, and goes to drink her blood. It's his shadow that comes in. It's actually kind of interesting how they did that, which would have had to have been with lights, I would assume. So he comes to get her, drinks her blood, and then you see the rooster crowing, the sun comes up, and the vampire is killed by the sun. I would also like to mention that you could definitely see his reflection in mirrors. So maybe that part of the, I don't know, of the myth of vampires wasn't really honored, but they definitely chose to keep the blood sucking, the dirt part where the vampire must sleep in dirt from his homeland to retain his power and stay alive, and the sun being lethal. So truly... Overall, not bad for a 1920s silent film and not bad for my first silent film ever. I've seen like shorts, like Charlie Chaplin shorts, but not a full movie. I definitely watched it on 2x speed 
It's, I think, an hour and a half long. I watched it in 45 minutes. It is on YouTube. You can just search for it. I think that if you're interested in classic horror, then you should watch it. If you are looking to be frightened, maybe, maybe just keep listening and see if there's a different classic movie that calls to you. Personally, vampire movies have never really done it for me, or monster movies in general. I really don't like when I can see the monster. I prefer when it's like lurking in the shadows and like you know it's there but you can't actually see it. I far prefer that to this like really weird vampire dude. His teeth are all jacked up. The way he walks, he's either arms stick straight to his side, literally don't move, or like doing Michael Jackson thriller, but stationary. It it was strange. I took some screenshots and I will definitely post them on the Instagram if you want to just laugh for a quick second. I would recommend that. The Instagram is at your so quiet pod, Y-O-U-R-E, so quiet pod. If you're not following already, you definitely should be. So go ahead and do that. But yeah, so I I will not rewatch it. However, I don't like regret watching it. I did it for the culture. You know what I mean? Like I I like that I have watched it now, you know? So next and moving on just like in order from oldest to newest, we are going to talk about The Uninvited, which was made in 1944. So this dude who's a composer and his sister are trying to purchase this mansion on the coast. And it's huge and it has obviously an ocean view. It's on a cliff, beautiful house, and they're literally able to buy it for $1,200. Yes, $1,200.00.00, okay? $1,200 for a whole home, right? For me, the dream. However, obviously, the house was extremely haunted. (laughs) The house was extremely haunted. Um, Definitely going to be spoilers all throughout this, so listen kind of knowing that, but they're all old movies, so maybe you've seen them already. I'm also not giving like the full plot line, so you could still definitely go. Anyway, The Uninvited. There is a more modern adaptation that was made in 2009, but I watched the 1944 version in keeping with my little classic horror uh, motif. So the movie starts, sets the scene by saying those who listen to the sea on this particular coastline were more open to seeing hauntings. And that, I, I really like the vibe. I like the the scene that we're setting. And I like that we're, you know, we're just really jumping into it. So first we start seeing the composer and his sister walking through the house. They're like, oh, this is beautiful. They go to buy it from this guy. This guy's daughter walks in and she's like, oh, you want to buy whatever the house is called? And she obviously, like, is withholding information as as they do in every horror movie ever doesn't say anything they buy the house they go to the house they own the house they're sleeping and they start hearing weird noises the dog first of all is barking at nothing and will not come up the stairs if my dog is barking at nothing i gotta go i don't live here anymore i i mean twelve hundred dollars whatever it's a cheap house go get your money back or just freaking leave. But anyway, these people are like, oh, stupid dog. And they go upstairs. They're sleeping. They hear somebody crying. 
and they just hear this throughout the house, but they can't find the source. And they, the woman, the sister, is like, oh, yeah, I already walked through the house. Nothing, you know, nothing was there. I'm like, girl, you are brave. <laughs> okay. Especially because later in the movie, we see her brother, who is amazingly sexist. Again, I know 1944, it was the time, whatever. But he was like, essentially, is the house really haunted or are you just like a hysterical woman? And I was not, I was not a fan of him. He was a little brat. So when he's in his bedroom and he's on the bed and the door slams shut and this man, when I tell you this man hides under the covers, literally like a three-year-old, hides under the covers from the haunting and then the scene cuts away. I wish we would have stayed in that moment just for a little bit longer so I can laugh more at him. He was the worst and honestly his sister was the backbone of this home and of this entire movie to be quite honest with you. So all this weird stuff is happening. Doors are slamming, creaking sounds, woman crying for no apparent reason, flowers in the house dying, dog runs away, and finally it comes to light that this place is haunted and someone died here and blah, blah, blah. What ends up happening is that the daughter of the guy who sold the house had never known her true birth mother and she didn't know this because it was kept a secret and so the woman crying in the house was her true birth mother and they came to this resolution and at the end the woman who was crying in the house started laughing at the house which is frankly more terrifying in my opinion I I can I can work with a sad ghost. Sad ghost, okay, what are you upset about? Let me fix it for you. But you're laughing? Terrifying. You gotta go. I still have to leave this house. But they're like, oh, the curse is lifted. I can feel it. The dog should be back soon. I'm just like, y'all should have left when the dog left. Anyway, I actually really enjoyed this movie. This was like classic horror for me. And I watched it on, I think archive.org had the 1944 version. I would have just rented it, but on Prime it said it wasn't available in my region, which is a little weird. And they kept recommending the 2009 version, but that's obviously not what I wanted. Anyway, I would really recommend The Uninvited. The 1944 version specifically, I think the 2009 version is on HBO or HBO Max, whatever they're their streaming platform is now but this was a really good one and I think great for like a a Saturday night where it's late and there's a thunderstorm and you make popcorn and you're watching a scary movie this is a really really good one especially because I'm someone who I love to watch scary movies at night however I have to watch something good afterwards and I'm also a very sleepy person so when I'm watching the movie at night, I will probably fall asleep and have nightmares. But The Uninvited actually does have a really nice ending, like it's resolved. And I do like that. However, I also think there's something to be said for a movie that really just leaves everything open. Like 
the curse could be with you as well. There's something less frightening about something that's happening to other people and could never possibly happen to me. Like I'm able to very easily distance myself from that and it doesn't scare me very much. All of that being said, I would still definitely recommend watching The Uninvited to get you really into your spooky season mood. Okay, next. So no discussion of classic horror is complete without talking about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. We all know the classic shower scene, so I'm really just going to give a basic overview of what the movie's about. So this secretary embezzles $40,000 from her employer's client, goes on the run, checks into a motel run by this young dude under the domination of his mother. And the motel is like down here on the ground, and then off in the, the like middle distance is his house. This movie in particular is like a founding father for so many of the movies that we know today. This is the psycho bitty trope, which is like the crazy old lady trope. This is also the entire slasher genre was built on psycho. This is also unreliable narrator, but in a movie, which I think is very hard to do. I freaking love Alfred Hitchcock. My favorite movie of all time is Rear Window. I mean, the suspense, it's the thrillerness. I, I was genuinely terrified to take a shower. Luckily, my shower, I don't actually have a shower curtain. It's like clear glass or whatever on all sides, the stand-up shower, whatever. But it's like one of those where like, I think that's going to happen. And it's possible, you know what I mean? So makes me scared of taking a shower, makes me scared of staying in a hotel by myself. So anyway, if you have not seen Psycho, you need to watch it. This is one I'm actually not going to spoil the ending because I want you to experience it for the very first time. You will have to rent it. You will have to rent it. Um, I couldn't find it on any of my streaming services and I have like six of them. I have Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, um, HBO, Peacock, and like one other one that I'm forgetting. So I have a lot of streaming services and I couldn't find out on any of them. So you will have to rent it. But know that this movie in particular is the foundation of horror as we know it today, in my opinion. Okay. And then this brings us into whatever happened to baby Jane. I had literally never heard of this movie before. Never ever. But it was on HBO Max. I was like, it looks good, maybe? The the trailer was good. However, I will say, before I jump in, the way that movie trailers used to be done was very unusual because I literally thought it was going to be like us watching someone film someone like in like a pseudo documentary style because they're like the director blah 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 follows these women blah 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 and I'm like okay this is not kind of what I thought based on the description this was going to be but yeah so it was not that it was not that at all I just thought it was an interesting take because now we might see like the director's name if like it's a prestigious director or if they put it toward the end of the trailer but the trailer itself focuses largely on the narrative of what you want me to watch. And you usually pull like the best scenes from the movie to show me to get me to watch it. But this was not like that. It was 
unusual. This came out two years after Psycho. So Psycho, again, as I said, was the genesis of the psycho bitty genre or the older woman gone crazy. So this movie, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, is about a woman named Jane Hudson who is an aging child star and is left to care for her wheelchair-bound sister, Blanche, who is also a former child actress. They are stuck living together in this old mansion in old Hollywood, and Blanche plots to get even with Jane, her sister, for the car crash that had left her crippled years earlier. So they tell you right in the beginning that Blanche was essentially hit by a car and Jane was the one who was driving. But Jane really wants to relive her glory days and is desperate to keep her sister imprisoned as she plans this new rise to fame and wants to revamp her act and she wants to hide Blanche's existence entirely from everybody as she devises a way to get rid of her sister for good. The premise to me was very good and it was more like thrillery, which I think is a nice kind of palate cleanser, to be honest, from Psycho. Psycho really does scare me. So there were several plot holes and I do think that the acting in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane was um, like soapy, like a soap opera. However, I think it still made it compelling because it just kind of sucks you in. Like, soap operas have been running for decades, right? Like, there's a reason that this melodramatic acting is still used. So, that was really heavily present in this particular movie. Plot holes include uh, Blanche, the woman who is crippled. I don't know why she was in her sister's care at all. Like, y'all appear to have the money to have in-home help. Um, and in fact, there is a woman who does come to like help a couple times a week. So maybe they're just not as well off as they pretended to be. I also didn't understand why Blanche had so much trouble escaping. She is in a wheelchair and her room is upstairs. So she like wheels her wheelchair to the top of the stairs and is just looking down the stairs and she just can't bear to, to try to get down. To me, if I'm being held hostage, I will literally throw myself down the stairs or like worm my way down or put myself in a laundry basket and slide down like I did when I was a child. Literally anything would be better than what was happening currently. And frankly, I'm already paralyzed. So what's the worst that happens? You know what I mean? So it seemed like that particular performance or I guess the, how the scenes were written was not really true to life right? Because if I'm in a life or death situation and my sister is holding me hostage in my home, won't feed me anything except for my bird that she killed and put on a little silver platter for me, unbelievable, I am not going to be too concerned with what I look like or what the neighbors might think because Blanche does have a window and her window, which does open, does have bars on it, but it does open it faces the neighbor. So Blanche literally writes a note and is like, my sister's holding me hostage. P.S. Don't ever tell my sister that I sent you this note. And she crumples it up and throws it outside. And right then her sister comes home, picks up the note, is talking to the neighbor like, oh, la la la, whatever, talking about, I don't even remember what. It was not important. She, the sister reads the note and literally hands it back to Blanche up in her room and Blanche is like 
on the verge of tears like oh i'm so surprised that she found a note like girl you could have just yelled like help me i'm trapped call the police but when she was trying to yell it's like she was stricken with momentary laryngitis and couldn't actually scream for help you would not be able to shut me up right if you're not home and you're holding me hostage i am screaming bloody murder and or throwing myself down the stairs to get the heck out of this freaking house i don't know and it could have just been like a sign of the times right because the the accent that's used is the north atlantic accent which you see all the time in older movies i will not try to imitate it because it will sound stupid and i can't live with that level of humiliation today so the north atlantic accent very very common the way that this crippled woman literally gets ready gets dressed full face of makeup does her hair every single day and is doing all of this putting in all that effort but will not put in the same effort toward literally getting herself out of that house so anyway the end is very chaotic um so jane decides to take blanche to the beach and i'm not too clear on what the significance of the beach was other than it seemed like jane had reverted to a a childlike version of herself because she's literally playing in the sand making sand castles her crippled sister is literally laying like a corpse on the sand covered in this blanket just desiccating in the heat and jane goes off and gets them ice cream and comes back with two ice cream cones all skipping and stuff it was it was weird and then by then it was in the paper that these two sisters were missing and that jane might be a danger to blanche so earlier in the story blanche did manage to get down the stairs which she could have done before and could have escaped but anyway she gets down the stairs she crawls to a phone calls the doctor is like you need to come right away unfortunately jane is home you know jane calls back calls the doctor back imitates her sister's voice honestly very good and it's like oh no i was mistaken you don't have to do that i think that that particular instance is what got this in the paper the next day or a few days later because the police find jane on the beach is like can you take us to blanche blanche might need our help and blanche might actually be dead there is no definitive answer because jane is surrounded by people because she's also speaking to the police on the beach they're in a circle around her and she literally just starts dancing like in her act and the police are like hey can you take us to your sister and she's like oh this way but when she goes she's literally dancing when the police see her sister on the sand they run off to her but jane literally just keeps on dancing and the crowd keeps following her and that is the end of the movie I feel like it's a very good commentary on jealousy and on feeling like your best days are behind you kind of thing but it was kind of a far cry from horror for me it was thriller-esque but maybe there was just too much other stuff going on that didn't really make a whole lot of sense like the the not being able to escape thing the fact that we think that jane paralyzed her sister but jane was not imprisoned at all 
and was left to care for her sister and there's no in-home help for me it was worth a watch it was actually a good movie i don't think that it is full horror for me so if you're listening to this and you're like i don't really want to be that scared but i do want something like to get me in the spooky spirit i do think whatever happened to baby jane is a good classic thriller type film for you And now we come to our final film that I watch, which is Stephen King's It, the 1990 version. I recently actually saw the newer version, so I was kind of able to do a direct comparison, and it really was not flattering to the original movie. So the acting and the effects of the 1990 film leave much to be desired, much to be desired. I think we take for granted how good our child actors are now because child actors in the 90s were really just not getting it done. If you don't know what It is about, It is what the movie is called, It, I-T. It was originally a horror novel by Stephen King. The story follows the experiences of seven children as they are terrorized by an evil entity that exploits the fears of its victims to disguise itself while hunting its prey. It, quote-unquote, primarily appears in the form of Pennywise the Dancing Clown to attract its preferred prey of young children. Words cannot describe how much this particular disguise would not attract me at all. You know what I mean? First of all, clowns, period, are terrifying. Terrifying. And honestly, I don't know if I'm afraid of clowns because of this movie or this movie freaks me out because I'm afraid of clowns. I don't know which came first. I honestly, I would bet that my fear of clowns came from this movie. I watched this movie when I was a child, probably like four or five years old. It holds like a dear place in my heart, which is why I can talk smack about it. Okay. It is three hours long. Okay. We'll start with that. Three hours long. Whereas the the newer versions, the remakes, there's part one and two, it's two two-hour versions, so it's actually technically longer, but it feels better than the original because the original is just like, we are dragging on for a minute. You know what I mean? It's like, if it was VHS, I would have to switch out the tape kind of thing. I feel like I just aged myself a lot. Um, anyway, we're going to blow past that. This movie made me terrified of clowns, as we have discovered. But I feel like more imagination is required to enjoy this particular movie, especially because of the effects that were used. Again, I feel like showing me the showing me the clown, showing me the little spider creature that it turns into at the end, showing me the hallucinations, I think that I think there's something to be said for not showing me right? Especially if you don't have the technology or the budget available to really show me what you want me to see. Like these bad green screen double layer edit things from the 90s, like they, I don't, I try to give like the benefit of the doubt. You know what I mean? Like maybe at the time this was like bleeding edge technology, but I'm looking at it and I cannot imagine that this is exactly what you wanted to show me. So just don't show me this. You know, don't show me like, oh, this is the best we can do. 
why don't we just change it around a little bit? Show me things in the shadows. Give me give me a vibe. Give me an aura. Don't show me these these poor effects. So because because I needed more imagination to enjoy this movie, I think that is why it still terrifies me to this day. I will not walk close to a storm drain. I will not do it. I always think that Pennywise is literally going to snatch me. I am terrified of clowns. Popping balloons really freaks me out. So the things that I created in my mind because of the imagination required and because it it feels very like possible, even though I know I know it's not possible. I know it's not true. I know it's a book and it's a movie. Like it's not real life. And I I don't live in Maine. The way that these particular elements, the storm drain, the clown, the balloons, the way these things were vilified really just stuck with me all throughout my childhood into adulthood. And even watching the movie now, there's just this feeling of dread that permeates the entire movie. And even though, I will spoil the ending, even though at the end they do kill Pennywise the clown, quote unquote, they do like kill the dude, it's, I, I never thought it actually died. You know, it, it came back after 30 years the first time, like they killed it as kids, right? And then it came back when they were adults, you know? So what's going to stop it from coming back in 30 years again? Even though the effects are not good, even though particularly the child acting is very bad, even though it's not like cinematic gold and it's specifically a movie that was chosen for a remake because the effects were not there in the 90s, I think that that made it more scary for me. I also, something that also stuck with me is that when they're children, these seven kids, they see things that are not there. I'll give you one example. So there's this girl, she's in the bathroom and she's like washing her hands or whatever. And she starts to hear a voice coming out of the drain. And so she's like, who is that? What's happening? And then this balloon starts coming out of the drain and it pops and blood goes everywhere. It's all over her, all over the sink, splattered on the walls. The girl starts screaming. Her father comes running in and he's like, what's going on? And he literally, in the movie, puts his hands on the sink, like looking in. It is obvious that this man cannot see what she sees. And that is freaky to me because if I'm seeing something, I I hope that other people can see it too. But the fact that this entity, this demon thing, was able to show her something that was so real and stayed there even when other people came into the room and could not see it, that I love. And I don't think that that happened in the remake. In the remake, I think that the same bathroom scene happens, right? But when her father comes in, the bathroom is clean. And she's looking around like, what the heck? Versus in the original, when he comes in, the bathroom is still covered in blood. And she's looking around like, why can't you see this? Like, are am I losing my mind? So that for me 
always makes a movie much better when it's like, oh, that could happen. So yeah, I I really enjoyed it in spite of its flaws. And I would really recommend it. I would recommend it, in fact, over... I would watch the original first. Actually, I take that back. I would read the book first. The book is very fat with very tiny print, so I understand if you want to skip it. Watch the original first and then watch the remakes. The remakes, the effects are so much better and it really brings to life that that horror that is in the book that Stephen King was trying to bring to us. Overall, I really actually enjoyed all five of these movies, even Nosferatu, which I would definitely not watch again, but it was like for the culture, it's for the experience, you know what I mean? And there's really just something about classic horror that I love. I have a desire to watch Friday the 13th again, Nightmare on Elm Street. I very well might, and I will have to watch the originals because there's just really something nostalgic about it and something that just really makes it feel like fall and like spooky season for me. So if you're like that too, if you love spooky season, if you love horror, go find classic horror films and just watch them and just enjoy them for what they are, not what they don't have. When I was watching these, I felt that the only time I was not enjoying myself is when I started to be like, oh, these effects are not good, the acting bad, like, oh, I can't believe they used like a tiny little puff of smoke to show that the vampire died. But if you simply appreciate them for what they are, I promise you, you will be in the spooky season spirit in no time. With all of that being said, we are about at the end of our time together this week. I am excited to be back. I'm excited to bring you some spooky content and hopefully you are just as excited as me because you are on for the ride, okay? If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, I would love if you left a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Spotify, you can only do ratings. Apple Podcasts, you can do both. It really helps promote the show and get other ears listening to my beautiful voice (laughs) and growing our little introvert community. If you're not already, you can follow the podcast Instagram at your so quiet pod, Y-O-U-R-E, so quiet pod. I post there a few times a week, almost always have a story up, and that is where you can participate in future episodes. And in October, I have, you know, I have some things a-brewing, so you'll definitely want to be there to be a part of it. That's all for now. I will see you next week. Okay, love you. Bye.